And Jesus can help us, but we must tell him. We must ask him. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 7 tonight. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Good to have Kayla with us this evening. Most of you as well. Second Chronicles chapter 7. <clears throat> this is the last service before our revival meetings begin, so this is preparation for that. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12 says, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer, and I have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among thy people. Those are all tribulations and tests and, and chastening of the Lord. And then he says in verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will hear, heal their land. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word tonight. We thank you, for, Lord, that you, we have your word preserved for us, that we have everything that pertains in, to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Thank you, Father, that you have called us, you've invited us into relationship with yourself and to walk with you and to glorify you, that we might know your blessing and favor and uh, power manifested in our, in our lives. So pray that you'd help us tonight as we look into this passage of Scripture. Others, we pray that you would be challenged and encouraged and prepare our hearts to receive the word that will be preached night after night uh, next week that we might be challenged and strengthened and brought into a closer relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is often used uh, when talking about revival themes, this passage of Scripture. Um, And, of course, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what really revival is. Um, You know, that's, of course, the need... Of, of our churches, uh, that's, that's the, what our nation needs is re- returning to God. And you know, it's, uh, the solution to our nation's problem is not in Washington. It's in our hearts. Luke 17, 21, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is within you. And uh, in, in uh, Romans 14, 17, he said, The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And revival is renewal of those things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. A revival, the word revival simply means renewal or restoration. Or, you know, if you're a builder, you might use the word remodel. If you like restoring trucks, you would use the word restore. Um, my brother-in-law was sister were down here a couple years ago. We came out down... Um, Trying to remember that back road there. Um, turned right after we, soon after we leave our place, and it came out close to, to Route One. There's this old truck. I'm, I'm guessing it was 40s or 50s truck sitting there 
along Route 1 for sale. And my mother saw said, well, I'm sure not going to tell John about that because he'll, he'll send a trailer down here. He'll probably want to borrow my trailer, come down here, pick it up, and take it home and restore it. Uh, he said he went all, took my truck and trailer, went all the way to Philadelphia to buy an old junk truck and brought it home to restore it. It's his high school friend. And, and so what he's doing is taking something that already is and renewing it. And revival isn't, you know, people talk about, oh, there was great revivals and thousands of people got saved. Well, that's not revival. That's evangelization. Revival has to do with God's people, a renewal of God's people. Often there's great evangelistic in-gatherings as a result of the revival of God's people. And so revival is a renewing. It's a bringing back or coming back into use, attention or being, after a decline. Is what it really is. Uh, Habakkuk 3.2, the Bible says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of thy years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. And again, the psalmist said in Psalm 85.6, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. So revival is a bringing back into use or attention after decline. It has to do with the, the renewal of God's people. And there's some things here that, that the Lord gave Solomon uh, that if they were going to renew their relationship with him, that he, they needed to do. And first of all, there is humiliation. Notice in verse 14, If my people which call by my name shall humble themselves and pray. There needs to be humiliation. Somebody said that humility is simply just being honest. Just being honest. So, old Dr. Wayne Van Gelderen Sr., I heard him say that years ago on, on a, I'm dating myself, I know, cassette tape. Uh, he said, humility is just being honest with yourself. If you're honest, you're going to realize, I must tell Jesus, I cannot bear this burden alone. Only he can help me. Uh, and so there needs to be humility. If my people which, will, which are called by my name, and notice again, called by my name, so he's talking about God's people, shall humble themselves. You know, we need to realize and, and, and have an understanding of what we really are or who we really are. You know, Romans 3 talks about the four Roman nuns. Now, they don't wear little bonnets and dresses and work in convents. No, there's none righteous. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. There's your four Roman nuns. That's not spelled N-U-N. It's N-O-N-E. Anyway, uh, you know, we are all as an unclean thing. You know, we, none of us have anything to crow about in ourselves. Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It wasn't that he was so much or because he was more educated than Peter and John, that God used him greater. No, it was because the grace of God that worked in his life. Job said, and Job was, of course, a, very, a righteous and godly man, but Job said of himself, I abhor myself. No, no, as I realize that in, my, you know, in myself, there's nothing worthy of the Lord. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. Remember, Peter said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You know, we, are, we are not somebody special. We are unworthy. Jesus said in John 15, 5, Without me, 
you can do nothing. Remember an old mountain preacher said years ago, he was talking to a guy, and this guy claimed to be a Christian, and he said, well, if you take, if you, if you, if you, if you separate uh, Christ from from the rest of the Word, you have a Christ, and then you I ain't nothing. Um, without Christ, you ain't nothing. So we need to realize who we are. But also, we also on the flip side of that, as God's children, we need to realize what we have. What we have. Yes, we need a proper understanding of who we are but then of what we have or what we are in the sight of God. In John chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. You could say, For God so loved me. Obviously, God values every soul that he would die for every soul. So God sees value. In every person. You know, it doesn't matter how big a sinner they, you may think you are or they are. God sees value in human beings. He sent his son to die for them. Die for us. John 6.36 He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth in him. And he of course has given us everlasting life. Uh, we have been, we have passed from death unto life. John five twenty four. Verily, verily, I say unto you, uh, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. See, sometimes we need to stop and think, what I have in Christ, I have everlasting life. And of course, John, you know, there's many passages in John, John ten. He says, and I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. We are kept in the hand and protected by the hand of God. That's what we have. Which Romans 8. 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. You know, I like what Psalm 126 says. In Psalm 126, the psalmist was rejoicing. And this, this, the context here, I'm told, is after the Lord delivered uh, Hezekiah and the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, from Sennacherib. And it says in Psalm 126, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bring his sheaves with him. He says, when the Lord turned our captivity, we were like them that dream. It was unbelievable. We could not believe it. In a night, the Lord changed 
the circumstances and the situation and, and delivered them from, from the captive of Snickerig's armory. Of course, you know, the angel Lord smote 185,000 Syrians in one night. And he said, and then it was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. The rea- you know, this reality that we have is like a dream. Do you ever stop and think about what you really have in Christ? Is it believable? Or is it just like a dream? I think it was Bob Jones said, if it's a dream, don't wake me up. Uh, you know, no, it, it is reality. We were born in sin. We're sinners by nature, sinners by choice. We're bound by sin, controlled by sin. But Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. That we've been bought back from that. Jesus said in John 8, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You know, we were in bondage to sin and corruption. But God has delivered us from the penalty and the power of sin. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 describes this very vividly for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, that word worketh again is their energy, and among whom also we all had our conversation times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's what we are without Christ. We're simply living to fulfill our own ambitions and desires and lusts in life. And in the end, it's going to bring us the, to a devil's hell. And we're going to be bound to that all our lives. But God, doesn't stop there. But God, who is rich in mercy. It's like I told a lady last night. You know, she, she said, well, I hope so. I've done pretty good. I said, well, it's not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And I said, that word mercy means God really withholds what we deserve. God's withholding what we deserve. We all deserve to die and go to hell and suffer eternal torment for our sin. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you are saved, hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. It's like a dream, but it's It's real. It's not a dream. We've been, we've been changed from a sinner to a saint, from the enemy of God to the friend of God, from a pauper to a priest and a king, from a child of the devil to a child of God. And raised up to the praise of his glory and made us accepted in the beloved. You know, our mouths should be filled with laughter and our tongues with singing for what God has done for us. You know, it's interesting, the psalmist said there, Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. When they heard their, their singing and their laughter, the, the heathen said, The Lord hath done great things for them. You 
You know, if anybody in this world ought to, ha- ought to have something to rejoice about, we should. We should. We have a hope. We have a God in whom knows the end from the beginning that we serve and love, in whom our life is, and we can rest in him. What a blessed thing we have. So you know, we need to understand who we are, but we need to understand what we have in Christ. So humiliation. Secondly, there's supplication. Supplication. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, again, it says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Humble themselves and pray. Seek my face. There needs to be supplication. You know, we need, like the song said, I must tell Jesus. We're to make our requests known unto God, Philippians 4, 6 says. You know, in, 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 in our prayer, we need, to, we need to confess our sins. And, of course, you know, this is the first step to, to, to getting right with God is to confess our sins, to accept the consequences of our sins, to accept the fact that it's my fault, and seek His favor and blessing. And, again, this is the pattern throughout Scripture. Uh, when Nehemiah, and, of course, you see in the Old Testament particularly, the, the saints often prayed and confessed their sins and the sins of their fathers. Now, I've often wondered why that is so. Well, I believe there's a reason for that. You know, Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1, talked before it was, you know, he was uh, preparing to, or praying about what he was to do about the, the wall at Jerusalem being torn down. And, and he prayed and he confessed the sins of his fathers. You know, and, you know he, he confessed or agreed with God that they were in this circumstance because of their sins. Not just his, but his fathers. It was a, it was a generational thing. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 29, when Hezekiah came to power as king over Judah, he likewise, in Second Chronicles 29, 3 through 10, he says, In the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together in the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers. Carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken him, have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs. They have shut up the doors of the porch, and put out the lamps, and have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place under the God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord is upon Judah and Jerusalem. He hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as, your eye, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity uh, for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, and that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. So he, con- he, he, he confessed the sins of his fathers and what brought them to this place, and, 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 and was determined to change that direction. You know, this was a direction that was set. Clear back in Solomon's time. All the way back to Solomon. Solomon allowed or built high places for estranged wives. That's where all this started. But you know, really it goes back further than that. 
One of the things, if you remember, and see this, so often we, we overlook the little things that really start our downward trends. What really started, I believe, Israel's downward trend when they came into the land was, particularly with the kings, was David saved a hundred horses and chariots of one of his enemies. And one of the things God gave strict orders about is you have a king, he is not to multiply to himself horses. When Joshua was fighting the giants and those armies that had chariots of iron, you know what, remember what God told him to do with the horses? Hawk all the horses. In other words, you're to cut their hamstrings. They were not to keep any of them. Because keeping horses would make them trust in horses and not in the Lord. Now you say, that that just sounds like a little thing. Yeah, it is. But see, they began to trust in horses like all the nations around them. And, and you'll find this throughout the prophets. Sometimes the prophets say, trust ye not in the horses. Proverbs says, the horse is prepared for battle, but safety is of the Lord. And see, this, so this was a generational thing that brought this to Nehemiah's day. And Nehemiah is confessing that pattern, that we've, and we find this throughout Scripture. Daniel 9, Daniel does the same thing. In Lamentations 5, 7, Jeremiah says, Our fathers have sinned, and we are not, and we have borne their iniquities. We have borne their iniquities. They sinned, and we're bearing it. Not only did they sin, but the sin continued in Jeremiah's generation. And so, in Jeremiah chapter 14, Jeremiah 14, and verses 20 to 20, wait a minute, yeah, 20 to 22, Jeremiah says, We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and iniquity of our fathers. We have sinned against thee. Do not abhor us for thy name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. Remember, break not thy covenant with us. Are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Art not thou he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait upon thee, for thou hast made all these things. And so he was honest, and you know we need to be honest and pour out our supplication to the Lord. Jeremiah understood it's only the Lord that can help us. You know, Exodus chapter 20 talks about the sins and, the, and the, the sins of the fathers, visit, God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the third and fourth generation of them that hate him. And many times, habits are passed on from generation to generation. Until somebody gets right with the Lord and says, by the grace of God, it's going to stop here. I'm not doing it. It's sin, and it's wrong. Forgive me, and Lord, help me to overcome it. Your drinking is often passed on generation to generation. Welfare. All kinds of sins are passed on. Habitual. Because we instill habits into our children's lives, whether they're good or bad. And it seems like, at least to me, 
This is a troubling thing with me. It seems like they pick up our bad habits quicker than they pick up our good ones sometimes. That's human nature. That's human nature. And so, you know, that's why I believe they confess the sins of their fathers. Look at Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel, Ezekiel addresses this also. Ezekiel 18. And verse 19 and 20, Ezekiel says, Yet say ye, why? Doth not the Son bear the iniquity of the Father? You know, see, here, here we're talking about sins passed down. When the Son hath done that which is lawful and right, and hath kept all my statutes, and hath done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The Son shall not bear the iniquity of the Father, neither shall the Father bear the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. You know, so, so when somebody was willing to, to face it and turn from it, God will and confess it, seek God's wisdom, they will find forgiveness and cleansing. But there needs to be a third thing, and we see humiliation, we see supplication. There also needs to be a repudiation. Um, all these end with shin, as you can see, alliteration. Uh, but in Verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 7 again, it says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So there needs to be a turning away from the wicked, de- wicked ways. In other words, we need to, there needs to be a repudiation of wickedness. And that means simply to separate from or to refuse to have anything to do with. And that's what Job did. Job was a man, he eschewed evil. In other words, he separated himself from evil. He avoided it. Your proverb says, avoid it, pass not by it, turn away. Proverbs chapter 4. When when Hezekiah began to cleanse the house, he he threw out all the filthiness, all the stuff that they had brought in that defiled uh, the house of the Lord. He threw it out. He separated it from the house of the Lord. He cleaned it. You remember in Acts chapter 1, or not Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 19. At Ephesus, when Paul was at Ephesus, he spent, uh, I think, three years at Ephesus. And in verses 18 through 20, it talks about their bringing all their books and burning them. They were, they were books of witchcraft, of sorcery and witchcraft and magic and all these things. And they brought them and they burned them. And it gives an, I think it, gives, it even gives them a, a figure... Uh, uh, a dollar figure of what they were wor- worth there. You know, so there was a burning. In other words, there was, a, there was a turning away from these evil things, and they got rid of it. They cleansed their houses of these things. You know, we would say today they brought their CDs and their videos and, and their DVDs and, and all these things, and they burned them before the Lord. There was a separation from Uh you know, this was a subject of the letters that Paul wrote to Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 uh, through chapter 7 and verse 1. One of the most well-known passages in the New Testament on separation. He says, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. 
You are not straightened in us, but you are straightened in your own bowels. The word straightened, of course, means hindered or restricted. And, and, and uh, uh, he says you're straightened in doing your own will or following your own ways or your own understanding. He says, now for recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. And the word enlarged means expanding your usefulness uh, or service for the Lord. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth in infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we're to get rid of the things in our lives. We're to separate from the things in our lives that are displeasing to the Lord. And, you know, like it said in Acts chapter 19, they brought the things that they were reading. Basically, it was their reading material that they were bringing and their worship material, that you know, voodoo and spiritualism was a very big thing back then. They had their they had their uh, 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 temples, shrines that they often went to, and involved in that was sorcery and prostitution, all those things. And, and so they had books about this stuff, and they brought it and burned it. You know, if there's things in your life that you're reading or watching or listening to. It's not pleasing to the Lord. You need to get rid of it. You need to separate from it. You know, Samson, one of Samson's problems was he played with his sinful desires. He toyed with it. First Timothy 5.22 says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partakers of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Your family sins that are not right, we ought not to condone or participate in. You know, there were some family reunions I didn't go to. And some of them I was the subject of discussion a few times. And out there were saying good things about me. But I think the Lord has, all, has, has, has uh, vindicated that. Some parties we did not attend. Because of what went on at those parties. See, we're not to go or to participate. And, you know, think about the man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Who Paul told the church at Corinth... You're to deliver him unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of Lord Jesus. You know, he was somebody's brother or somebody's son that was in the church, likely. You know what they were supposed to do? They were supposed to vote with the congregation in voting him out. They were to vote him out.
You remember Asa? Asa was one of the better kings of Judah. And in 2 Chronicles 15, 16, he removed his mother from being queen because she made an idol in the grove. That was the right thing to do. Because she was leading people into wickedness and condoning it. And he removed her. He removed her. I know what that's like. I had my own mother question me one time on some, some things, and I had to disagree with her and tell her what she believed was wrong. But you know, Matthew 10, 37 says this. Matthew 10, 37 I quoted this to my wife this afternoon, but not, not in unkindness. She was being funny. Anyway, Matthew ten thirty seven says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, I, I did misquote a little, little bit. I said, He that loveth his wife more than the, me is not worthy of me. But anyway, she said, Why don't you just stay home and, and sit on the couch with me? You know, she's not feeling good. And I said, Well, you know, he that loveth wife more than me. Anyway, but you know the principle here is if we, we're not to love anybody else in this world more than we love God, that means we are to obey God over participating in anybody else's sin. See, there has to be a repudiation. We have to be willing to turn away from sin. Asa was willing to turn away from his mother's sin. I say, Mom, that's wrong. You're no longer worthy to be queen, and it's taken away from you. You know, when Josiah <clears throat> instituted the Passover in Israel, it's very evident that there were many that did not really agree with him. Because as soon as he's dead, you know what happened? They went right back. I mean, it was just as quick as it could be. They went right back to what they were doing before. I mean, he had, he's the one that destroyed the altars at Bethel and Dan. You know, he even went up into Israel, and many from Israel flocked, came to him out of it. And he, he held this Passover in Jerusalem like it had been held since times of David. And, but as soon as Josiah's dead, guess what happened? They went right back to what they were doing before. Whether we stand with the multitude or stand alone, we need to stand with the Lord. We need to be willing to turn away from that which is evil. It's not, and I've often said this, it's not who it is, it's what it is. It's not who it is, it's what it is. You know, sometimes, we tend, you know, our human nature is we, we make excuses or we downplay it for those we like. Now, if it's somebody we dislike, we don't have any trouble. But if it's somebody that we like, you know, it's a little, little bit harder than. No, it's not who it is. It's what it is. So there needs to be a repudiation, turning away, turning away from wicked ways. And then, fourthly, then there will be restoration. Uh, it says, then will I hear from heaven 
It will forgive their sin. It will heal their land. If you notice again in Second Chronic or Second not Chronicles, Second Corinthians chapter six, verse seventeen and eighteen, if we will separate from things that are sinful, that they're displeasing the Lord, this is what the Lord says: Wherefore come out from among them, Second Chronicles or Second Corinthians six seventeen. Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So when we, we turn away from those things that displease the Lord, we are turning to the Lord. So it's not just enough to we put these things out of our life. No, we need to draw near to God. We need to draw near to God. And when we draw near to God... He will receive us. He'll be a father unto us, and ye be my sons and daughters, saith the Almighty. You know, the, 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 a picture of that is the prodigal son and his father. As soon as the prodigal son turned away from the hog pen and the world and, and went back toward his father, his father saw him a long way off, and he ran to meet him, and he received him back. Now, that father did not go looking for him. He didn't go looking for him. But I'm telling you what, he was looking for him, obviously. He was looking for him every day. Because when he saw him coming, he ran to meet him. So when we separate from things that are sinful, God is just waiting for us to draw near to him. And be received into the intimate fellowship he desires to have with us. With us. You know, the Lord wants to lead us. Jeremiah 31, verse 9, the prophet said, They shall come with weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. See, God does want to lead us. God was, does want to direct our lives. God was, does want to show his favor upon us. But we have to seek it. We have to be willing to humble ourselves, pray, supplicate, bring our supplication to him, Willing to turn away from the things that so easily beset us? You know, Hebrews 12 talks about, Wherefore, seeing we are all compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Now, I talked about earlier about the progression of what started this whole chain of events in the Old Testament of bringing it to... Uh, Hezekiah's day and it was the building of the high places but it goes really back further than that just the horses I like horses but see gathering horses in those days meant battle strength and security and God says your security needs to be in me I'm the one that will keep you secure And when they started gathering all those things, and they were really proliferated during Solomon's reign, and he gathered 
thousands of horses and chariots and you know and from then on Israel was full of horses they brought them out of Egypt Egypt is a type of the world again leaning upon the world the sins which just so easily beset us things that we don't give serious thought to but just well maybe we just don't take the time or make it a priority to seek the Lord's favor in our daily life. Have you lost your fervor? Have you lost your first love? There needs, maybe there needs to be a renewal of the awareness of His presence. Maybe you just haven't been spending the time with the Lord that you should. Not putting Him first. Again, Aware that he is watching and listening. You know, one of the things that kept me out of a lot of trouble growing up was I was always afraid dad would find out. And believe me, if my dad found out, it was not good. There was pain and suffering in the future, I knew that. And deservingly so. But you know, our God is watching, and He's listening. And an awareness of what God has entrusted us with. We are His children, and He's entrusted us with a ministry of reconciliation. We're His ambassadors. So do you need a renewal tonight? Do you need, a, do you need to be remodeled or restored? Like an old tractor or a truck? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, will heal their land. You know, if we will seek God, we'll humble ourselves and seek the help of God and be willing to turn from our own ways. God will help us. God will shine His face upon us. God will give us His favor and His blessing. Just like He did to Joseph continually. Wherever Joseph went, whether it was in prison or whether it was serving Potiphar or whether it was in the palace, Joseph always had the favor of God. And we can have that too. But we need to, to be seeking Him with our whole heart. How was it with you tonight? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word. Thank you for the challenge, the encouragement that it gives us. And Father, as we prepare our hearts for revival, I pray that you, we allow you to search our hearts, allow you to um, uh, investigate and search out things that are displeasing to you. In this week ahead, help us to set aside time to prepare ourselves for the preaching of your word and allow it to minister to us for our good and for thy glory. And we'll thank you and praise you. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.